Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Good News with Angie Austin. Now, with the Good News, here's Angie. Welcome to the Good News with Angie Austin and friend Jim Stovall is joining us. Uh, he is the uh, president of a television network. He's made numerous movies with his books. He's written over 50 books and he is a big time speaker, but he also has a weekly column, a winner's wisdom column. And each week he teaches us something from that column. And Jim, I was just reading it again. And I love how you always end with like today's the day. Yeah, I, you know, Angie, I, I've always felt I've written this column for over 20 years. I've written well over a thousand of these columns and, you know, they're all about all kinds of different things, but it doesn't really matter what we think about or talk about or mean to do. What really matters is what we do. And so I always like to remind my readers around the world that today's the day. I mean, uh, if you're not doing it today, you're not doing it. And, uh, uh, so if you have a goal, a vision, a calling in your life, it means you're supposed to do something today to make a difference. And in uh, and, and this week's edition, we're talking about reconsidering the question, because uh, we live and die in our lives by getting the right answers and making the right choices. But sometimes instead of reconsidering the answer, we need to really get back and think about the question. And I was reminded of a time when I was in grade school and we used to get these things called a weekly reader they'd give you this stuff on this cheap print newsprint paper <laughs> and it had all these little articles for kids and everything and then there was always a puzzle and one of the puzzles i remember had a, a drawing of a tree with all the leaves and everything and it just seemed like a normal tree and then below it you saw the caption and it said find the faces of eight presidents in the tree leaves and I, I would not have thought they were there. But then when I look at it again, okay, there's Washington and there's Lincoln and there's Jefferson and so on and so forth. And all of a sudden, by looking at the question in a different way, you get a different answer. And I realize that not only works when you're an eight-year-old, it works when you're uh, much older in life. And, you know, we need to look at the same questions with new eyes and a new vision. I love that, new eyes and a new vision. And did you find all the presidents? I did. I found all of them. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant gave me a challenge, but I got him finally and uh, had something to do with his beard. And uh, you know, I'll recently, look it up and see if it's online anywhere. Yeah, they uh, actually after this column, and I am always reminded that the, the columns are read by people all around the world, literally. And I got. Uh, you know, a number of calls and emails this week from people that wanted to know, well, is that still available? And, you know, you can look for picture puzzles online, and there are whole websites of these available out there. So it's it's kind of funny that they still have them. And, you know, this week I was uh, – my wife is a huge tennis fan, and Crystal uh, plays and watches tennis and loves it. And they were talking about a tournament – with 110 players, and it's a single elimination, so everybody plays until you lose, 
And, you know, okay, you start out with 110, and then that's 55 matches. And the question they were asking is, how many matches do we have to have before we get to the champion? So I did what most people do. I thought, okay, there's 110, and then we got 55 matches, but then we got an odd number, and we got a weird bracket, and I couldn't figure it out. I mean, there was no way I'm going to figure out how many matches do we have to have until they asked the question a different way. How many matches do we have to have until 109 people lose? Well, we have to have 109 matches, and then there'll be one person left, and they're our champion. So simply by asking the question differently, you get to the answer very simply, very accurately. And, you know, we can do that in our lives when we we get the right question asked with the right priorities. I love that. You know, um, for people who don't know, Jim can no longer see. He lost his sight in his 20s. And his wife, Crystal, um, has been with him, you know, both sighted and unsighted, I guess, right? (laughs) Yes. And so I was thinking about, first of all, I'm obsessed with trees. I have a lot of like tree, black and white photographs I take. And I don't know why I just love trees, but there's this tree of life at the animal kingdom. And so Mm -hmm. have Crystal look it up for you because they do something similar to what you said. And it's fascinating. It took um, three Imagineers and 10 artists. They worked full time on this tree for 18 months. It took them a year and a half to build it. And then what they do is it's got a lot of, um, it's a sculpture of a, like a baobab tree. It's like an upside side down tree. So the branches mimic roots. It's fascinating. But anyway, because of all the lumps on it, they're able to light it in a way that they play scenes on the tree and they're hidden things in the tree. And it is, it's one of the most mesmerizing things I've ever seen, like to watch it in person as it kind of evolves with the lights they put on it. It's amazing what they can do. But anyway, I guess it's a high tech version of your of your tree puzzle. Yeah, I, I will look that up. See, that's what's great about listening to Angie Austin on the radio. <laughs> uh, not only do you get the content, you get homework and you get to work through that. So it's always great whenever I'm on with you. But, you know, it, it's it's simply a matter, you know, and as a blind person, I'm always uh, you know, amazed that sighted people look at things and see them differently. There was that thing that came out uh, oh, a year or two ago, that optical illusion. Is this girl wearing a blue dress or a gold dress? Yes, yes. And, and it wasn't like a blue or aqua or, you know, kind of an off shade of it. I mean, blue and gold, uh, you know, are a long way apart. And, and, you know, I thought this is crazy. So one day at lunch in our office, everybody's gathered around the conference table eating. And, you know, I was telling them, have any of you seen this? And one of the ladies pulled it up on her thing, and she said, I don't know what the deal is. It's blue. And another young lady said, no, it's not. It's gold. You're crazy. They switch phones, and they still think that. You know, and it all of a sudden, here we go. And, uh, you know, different people see things in different ways. And you can totally change your life by simply asking the question differently. You know, I, I want to go into, um, continue with the article again, A Winner's Wisdom. It's reconsidering the question. But I, I'm curious um, because, you know, sometimes f- people feel uncomfortable talking about the fact that you're blind and the fact, you know, you've been with Crystal so long um, and you're my mentor, so I've known you for years. So I'm curious, is Crystal kind of like your eyes sometimes? Like if you're sitting there talking, does she describe it? Like you told me that my family was beautiful. So she obviously described, you know, my kids and my family to you at some point time does she describe a lot of stuff to you or like the people at work do you have a right hand man or woman who um you know who kind of works as your eyes in a way yeah i I, crystal does and then i have about 
10 or 12 different people that travel with me or go to things here in town or when I'm on the road for movies or arena events, they'll go. And I call different friends or people that work for me for different things. If I'm going to an art museum, I'm going to call Kelly. If I'm going to something outdoor, I'm going to call Beth. If I'm going to something you know, content or business related where we have to make contacts, Rebecca's going to go with me because she remembers everybody's names and faces. So it's kind of like experiencing different things with different people. That's uh, fascinating. Yeah. The fact that, okay, so Rebecca, so she's going to remember a name. So as you're walking up, she's like, that's Bill Clark. And then you shake his hand. Oh, Bill, Bill Clark. They must be blown away. And she will tell, you know, and a lot of uh, politicians or CEOs have someone like that because you meet so many people you can't remember them and I meet hundreds of people at book signings or movie events and she is so good at saying you know here comes uh, Sarah Johnson you met her in San Diego at that event or here's the guy from Boston who made the donation at the charity thing you did you know and she's very very good at that and uh so, yeah, different people. And then there, there's people. I have one young lady. If something, if it's a festival, a circus, whatever, I'm taking her with me because everything with her is just over the top. And it's just fun to go. You know? so <laughs> yeah, you, I have a friend you, you, don't, you, you don't want to take your CPA to the circus. and uh, But uh, but you don't want to have uh, Danielle, my circus girl, you don't want to have her in your accounting meeting. Either one will get you in bad trouble. Right. I have a friend that I like to just go out with because she has the best laugh. I mean, it's like you can hear it all the way across the restaurant. It's so fun. She's the laugh gal. So, all right. I've uh, I've uh, taken a right turn there, but back to the article, reconsidering the question. So you talked about the, the tree puzzle and then seeing it a different way. First, it was a tree and then you saw the pictures of the eight presidents. So really, you're talking about reposing the question, like explain what we should do in our day-to-day lives. Well, you need to look at it in a different way. Um you know, a lot of people, we make decisions every day that, that infect our life. In fact, nothing impacts our success or failure more than making quality decisions. And a lot of times we don't know what's the right thing to do, what's the wrong thing to do. You know, there, there are often things I know I should do, and there are things I want to do. And uh, Hemingway said that, you know, he's, he said uh, morality is the thing that's going to feel good tomorrow. And, uh, and immorality is the thing that's going to feel bad tomorrow. Mm. And, you know, the, you, sometimes it's just as simple as asking that question. Obviously, I, I attach the golden rule to everything. You know, I'm getting ready to make a decision. If I were on the other de- side of this decision, what would I want someone else to do to me? And that makes a lot of decisions. And, uh, you know, and really, how do I want to see myself in the future? Do I want to be the kind of person that does A or B? And those kind of criteria will often help us make the right decisions. Well, I know faith is, you know, um, a guiding force in your life, uh, at my, mine as well as a Christian. And I know your parents raised you in that same manner. So in terms of um, looking at uh, new ways at old problems, I think it's something I'll discuss with uh, my son, who, as you know, you've talked to Riley before, he runs uh, a very successful shoe business. He's um, you know, done really well reselling shoes, and sometimes he'll, you know, sell 
50, 60, 75 at a time in bulk to other resellers, which he's been doing a lot of that lately. But anyway, um, I think being uh, a kid and being in high school at 16 and with COVID, he didn't meet friends really his freshman year. So now he's sophomore year and we had moved around in districts. So basically he doesn't have many friends, you know, very few. And so he's been a little down and really his self-esteem has been hurting. But then when people hear about how he runs his business and they see his website and they see his stock list and how he keeps track of everything, he's really extraordinary. So maybe I'll talk to him about looking at himself through different eyes rather than the, I don't have a ton of friends at school and I'm kind of feeling really low in life to look at all of his accomplishments. And so maybe to refocus um, his eyes on himself, maybe not reposing a question, but oh yeah, maybe reposing a question. These other kids that really think that there's something at school, look at the things you have going on and your ability to converse with adults and your ability to do business and your ability when he works like a farmer's market, how well he can sell and interact with adults. So he just needs a few more years and he's going to be a big success, but maybe he's passed some of these kids. So he doesn't relate very well with them. So he feels like an outcast. Well, in his generation, he's a wonderful young man. He's going to make you very proud, and I'm going to be able to remind people I knew him (laughs) way back when because he's going to be a rock star. But one of the things that his generation uh, discovers a a few years down the road is everything you call a friend is not a friend. I mean, a friend is not something you click on a social media deal, and now they're my friend. I mean, Angie, you and I are lucky if you go through your whole life and have five people that you can count as absolute, lifelong, died-in-the-wool, I-would-die-for-you friend. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's a friend. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of these things uh, he's talking about are people that, uh, you know, will smile at you or wave or or don't make fun of you or something else. You know, those are acquaintances, and and they're great. It's wonderful. We should be socially acceptable. But uh, the fact that he doesn't have a lot of friends, the reality is nobody has a lot of friends. (laughs) That's funny. My husband always says, uh, they're like, Dad, you have no friends, and Mom has lots of friends. And he's like, Daddy doesn't need any friends. Daddy's got one friend, Mommy. So, (laughs) all right, Jim, I want to uh, talk to you a little bit next week about the great resignation in addition to your winner's wisdom column, because you've been able to keep employees for decades. So I think it's really interesting in a time like now when people have so much turnover, how you've been able to keep the same employees under that business roof for so long and also your website so people can find uh, your 50 plus books and your winner's wisdom column. Well, you can always find me, Jim, at Jim Stovall, S-T-O-V-A-L-L, Jim at JimStovall.com. I answer all my emails. We uh, have real live people around the clock, or you can just go to JimStovall.com. Excellent. Thank you, Jim. All right. Be well. Julesburg is listening to the Mighty 670 KLT. When you shop at your local ARC, Your hard-earned money directly supports individuals with disabilities. 80% of people with intellectual disabilities are unemployed. And at ARC thrift stores, approximately 20% of employees are individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. ARC Thrift is one of Colorado's largest employers of people with disabilities. They provide extra support for their employees, giving them the opportunity to decide how they live, learn, work, and play through the ARC Ambassadors Program. The program provides a community for employees with disabilities where they create lasting friendships. 
ARC Thrift Ambassadors attend social events throughout the year where they are encouraged to work together, and ARC is a company that lives and breathes its mission, going above and beyond to create a space of inclusivity, morale, and culture. Decide to shop today at an ARC Thrift store near you. Find the nearest location at 670kltt.com. Welcome back, friend, to the good news. It's Angie Austin here. Well, the decision to undergo genetic screening or diagnostic testing while pregnant is a very personal decision to be made between a patient and her doctor, of course. Now, I, I did a fascinating interview uh, not, uh, not so long ago with a doctor who actually operates on the baby in the womb, and he's able to fix heart defects and all kinds of things. It was unbelievable. And I asked him, I said, what is it like when you have these get-togethers? Because they have the get-togethers of all the babies that he's worked on and he said to see these kids like throwing the football and having these lives that they wouldn't have been able to have had he not been able to fix these defects in utero was fascinating to me I mean the advancements are unbelievable well the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists issued a new set of guidelines in 2020 recommending that non-invasive prenatal tests known as MIPT be offered to all pregnant women regardless of age or other risk factors so if it's going to to be offered to all pregnant women and you're going to get that offer you know when you or your wife or your daughter whoever goes in for their uh, you know prenatal exams shouldn't we better understand it well, we've partnered with an expert in the area welcome to the program she's Parmar she's a board certified gen- genetic counselor and vice president of medical affairs at Natera welcome thank you so much for having me Okay, so this is obviously a very personal decision. And, you know, if things can be found out prior to the birth of the baby, even if you are, you know, uh, against, uh, you know, terminating the pregnancy, right? What my doctor told me was, um, I said, well, I'm not going to terminate the pregnancy if there's Down syndrome because I was older. And he said, well, you want to be better prepared. So it's better to have information. At the time, it was riskier. But my understanding now is the risks like for amniocentesis, that these risks are greatly reduced now. Yeah. So, you know, there are different screening and diagnostic tests that are available during pregnancy to get more information. So uh, tests like amniocentesis, which sounds like was offered to you, are still available. Uh, They are invasive and they may have a a small risk for complications, including miscarriage, but they are still available to anyone who's interested in having more testing. Um, You know, what's available now are some non-invasive options. So this non-invasive prenatal testing to get more information without uh, before you go on to the diagnostic test like an amnio. So this is something that'll give you some information to help you make that next step decision. Okay, so like a screening. So uh, let's talk about um, the screening and what the benefits are. Yeah, so this is the screening test. Uh, There are different screening tests that are available. The the test that I'm I'm here to talk to you about today is called NIPT, or non-invasive prenatal testing. Okay. Uh, It's a relatively newer screening test. And as you mentioned, it's uh, recommended to be available for all pregnant women by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And it screens the pregnancy for certain condi- genetic conditions we call chromosome abnormalities, <coughs> mm-hmm. uh, which can be related to maternal age, um, as you talked about. But all women, you know, should be offered this screening. It's a blood test. So it's a simple blood test that's done during pregnancy. You can do it as early as nine weeks. 
and it's ordered by a physician. And what it does is it tells you uh, without any risk to the pregnancy, uh, what the chances are for one of these conditions. So for most people, it gives them reassurance that uh, the risks are low, but in the event that the risk is increased, that's when you are recommended to have a diagnostic test like the amniocentesis. Now, in terms of, you know, these being um, offered or the recommendations that these, you know, this new set of guidelines um, be offered to all pregnant women, the um, NIPT uh, test. So what should we ask doctors when we go in? What should we ask, you know, the healthcare provider about the tests or just questions in general when we go in? Well, not me anymore, but we in general. <laughs> Right. So when you're in your that one of those first early appointments with your OBGYN or your nurse midwife, you want to ask, you know, what the risks are for chromosome conditions, you know, based on your age, based on your family history. So you want to talk about those. And then you want to ask what all the different screening and diagnostic testing options are. So, you know, and understand you know, what is the difference between a screening test and a diagnostic test. Right. Uh, Because a screening test will not diagnose the condition, but will give you those risks. And then if you choose to have NIPT, you can ask about the accuracy of NIPT. So, uh, for example, Nizera has a test called Panorama. So what, you know, is the accuracy of Panorama? And then what does does a higher low risk result mean for me? Right. Once I get these results back, what does that mean? Um, ultimately, it's, you know, a very personal decision that should be made after considering, you know, all the benefits and limitations of all your different screening options. Now, in terms of people, you know, getting more information, because this is, you know, a lot of new info out there in the medical world, that's for sure. My kids are 12, 14 and 16. So just in, you know, that 12 years, things have changed so much. Um, is there a website that we can go to to get more information? Yeah, so we encourage uh you know, anyone to speak to their healthcare provider, but for more information about Natera's panorama test and our genetic counseling services at Natera, you can visit www.natera.com, which is N-A-T-E-R-A.com. Now, in terms of um, the screening and the diagnostic tests, both different, you said, so the screening gives you like the heads up that, hey, you may want to have the diagnostic test. And as in the case of my doctor, like I knew I didn't want to terminate. So does it just like give you more information to possibly be better prepared if, it, you know, regardless of what your decision is going to be about the child? Absolutely. So the screening test right, identifies if you're at increased risk and then you're recommended to do a diagnostic test either during the pregnancy or to confirm at birth. And really, yeah, this information gives you what you need to ensure that, you know, you have an appropriate delivery plan. If you need to deliver at a hospital that has certain specialists, you, you don't want to make sure if you live in a rural area, you may need to deliver in an urban area. So it really gives you time to understand the information and prepare. And that's really the benefit of having information, you know? That's a really good point that, you know, if you do live, you know, on a farm in the middle of the country and you want to get the best possible health care, if you know you're going to deliver a child that's got, you know, complications. One of my friends was mentioning to me just at dinner recently, um, his son has Down syndrome. And I met him um, when he came into my TV studio. I did a morning show. So he brought his baby and I remembered how beautiful the eyes were. And then re-met him later and went, wait a second, I recognize those eyes. He's so beautiful, your son. And he said that when he was born and the doctor 
doctor came to the room, he didn't really know anything about Down syndrome at the time. And uh, so they, he said, you know, your baby has Down syndrome. And he pretty much kind of gave him, the doctor gave him a really horrible, it sounded like almost like a death sentence, right? That this is, this is debilitating. He's not going to ever, you know, go to school. He's not going to have a life that will be productive. And um, he did so much research. And that research can be done before the child is born. Same with my friend whose um, uh, daughter has a spina bifida that she found out prior to her mm-hmm. baby being born. So she could find out a lot of info because she didn't know anything about it. And she also heard like the worst case scenario. So she was able to educate herself. Well, in the case of my friend, he now runs um, ARC, which they hire over 300 people who are differently abled. So it changed the course of his life once he did the research, et cetera. So I guess in this case, knowledge is power, Sheetal. And so um, I really appreciate all the info. And give us the website one more time if people want to get more information. Yeah, that was a lovely story. Yeah, so it's www.natera.com, N-A-T-E-R-A.com. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Changing gears now, we're going to talk to Arlene Pellicane, author of numerous books, including 31 Days to a Happy Husband. And she wants to know, is your priority your spouse or is your priority your children or do you prioritize one a lot more over the other? Arlene, my husband often says, what about daddy? Well, Arlene Pellicane, author and speaker, uh, joining us, and she's going to talk uh, more about her 31 Days to a Happy Husband in this segment, because you want to talk to us about the percentage of time we spend being a parent and the percentage of time we spend being a spouse. And I think Mm -hmm. many of us are guilty of shirking our responsibilities because the kids are louder than the spouse. And they were, we want attention, we want attention. My husband always says, what about daddy? Right. You know, and this could be a baby, uh, the, the a true baby, not your husband, a baby, or this could be, you know, a 36-year-old who you're still doing a whole lot of things for, or maybe a grandchild. And it's this idea that I got from psychologist John Rosemond that he asks, if you think about the time you spend in, in relationship, how much percentage do you spend as a parent and how much percentage do you spend as a spouse? And he says, for the average listener, it's 90% parent parenting and 10% spousing. And and really when you think of it, like you're driving your child to, you know, practice maybe even before school. And then after school, you're doing activities with them. You're bringing them to a friend's house. You're making them their special dinner that they like that, you know, you are doing things to help them with their homework. You you kind of go over and above. Yes. Yes. And so you have all this time that goes to your child in your parental role. But if your spouse says, Hey honey, can you sit on the couch with me? you're like, I don't have time for that. You know, so I need a nap. It's this whole idea of, you know, how can we get to more of that skew uh, of John Roseman, the psychologist suggesting 75% spousing and 25% parenting, because what does that do? It elevates the spouse relationship because the truth is your kids are going to grow up and move away. That's how it's designed. But you and your spouse are going to stay together. And so it makes Mm -hmm. sense that time goes there. And then also for your children, what happens if we're doing everything for them, This is where the helicopter parent is born because we're too busy hovering over our children and we ignore our spouse and the child needs to grow up. And there's a lot of things independently a kid needs to do. You know, James and I were having had dinner and with our kids and all of us usually clean up after dinner. But a couple nights ago, he told the kids, well, you guys have the kitchen. And he took my hand and he took me on the couch. 
he like snuggled up to me and it felt like totally scandalous. I was like, what in the world are we doing on the couch when there are like pots and pans like in the kitchen? He's like, the kids totally have this. Like, let's talk. And so we like snuggled up and talked and it felt completely scandalous. And then I was like, why don't we do this more often? Like, this is a good practice. Right. And good for them to take responsibility for the kitchen. I love that. Right. Idea. And so all you're saying is, you know, that your spouse needs attention. Both spouses need attention. Yeah. And right now in many families, it's 90 percent parenting and only 10 percent spousing. So you're uh, saying how about 25 percent spousing and 75 percent parenting? It's not even really shifting that much more energy to your marriage and your spouse, but that'll lead to a much happier marriage. And the kids see that as well. Yeah, it's 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 good if you can dial back. You know, we tend to overdo as parents and we tend to underdo as spouses. And so just thinking, wait a minute, the most important person in this home is not three feet tall. Right. The most important person in this home is my peer, this husband, this wife that I married. That yeah. adult is He's the six, most five, important four, person five. in the home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. All yeah. right. So all right. With that said, um, one of your questions that you suggested um, had to do with what if the children feel left out because their parents are busy talking to each other and spending too much time with each other? And I think back to my girlfriend, Robbie, four kids, grew up in Texas. When her dad came home from work, I believe it was one hour and it was they were not allowed to speak seriously. Uh, and they were yeah. supposed that the, the parents sat down with a cup of coffee at the table and they had that hour to catch up. I don't remember if it was 30 minutes or an hour, but the kids, unless they were addressed, they were supposed to be quiet, do not interrupt. And this was their parents' time. And believe me, they were strict about it, she said. And sure. st- still married. You know, I mean, they, they, they stayed married. I mean, it's been decades, obviously, my friends, you know, yeah. older. Yes. And so someone might listen to that and I think someone's going to think, wow, that's amazing. That's neat. And then someone else is going to think, how could they do that to their children, like to ignore them? But I bet, though, that that for it'd be interesting to ask your friend, like, I think she'd be more glad that her parents stayed together and that they were a stable factor in her life, even though she might have felt like second fiddle for that hour. But it taught her the priority of marriage. Yes. Well, now she and her husband, they're marriage counselors. And she said she grew up in a wonderful home and doesn't have a lot of the yeah. problems that many of us, you know, have growing up in dysfunctional homes. All right. So uh, parting thoughts and your website for 31 yes. Days to a Happy Hubby. The website is ArlenePelican.com. And the thought is don't be afraid to inconvenience your children so you and your spouse can do things together, talk together, because that inconvenience is a whole lot better than hours and hours of counseling like you talked about. Love that. Thank you, Arlene. (laughs) Thanks so much, Angie. Thank you for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin on AM670 KLTT. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.